baby boy who's come to earth to bring us joy and I just want to sing this song to you it goes like this the fourth the fifth the minor fall the major lift with every breath I'm singing hallelujah hallelujah That is awesome. And you know what makes that song so beautiful? It's not just because you guys sang it beautifully. It's because you mean it. Oh, Merry Christmas. We serve a great God, don't we? He's awesome. And he's so worthy of our praise. So thanks for being here today. If you're visiting, thank you for being here. I hope you feel comfortable and welcome. And uh, for those that are regulars, we just really are glad you're here as well. And uh, just thank the Lord that we're able to be in the house of the Lord together and be part of the body. I'm going to continue to speak about what we started last week, talking about the good fight. The good fight. We've been praying every week the prayer that I'm asking us all to pray every day. And if you pray it enough, you'll memorize it. And I want to just pray it again this morning because this really can become the prayer of the good fighter, the good warrior, okay? So would you just, it's on the screen, and if you don't have it memorized yet, would you just pray it with us that you would continually 
fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen me with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. A lot of words, but if you just dwell on that prayer every day and let something different part of it come into your heart, I will, I will encourage you that the Lord will just make it known to you and he'll just make it special. So as we're talking about the good fight, I can say that the more I study it, the more that I find that as I fully embrace what it means to be part of the good fight, that it is really a life changer. This is something that can really impact you and change the way you think. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit this morning will make this very clear to you as we continue to talk about it, as we continue to understand what it is to be in the good fight. Last week we began the discussion of what Paul meant when he instructed Timothy to fight in a good fight. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Paul said, Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Fight the good fight, Timothy. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Man, there's a lot there. We went into great detail last week as to why we are to fight the good fight. What's the prize that we're fighting for? If you're going to be fighting for something, you must be fighting for something. There's a prize there. We're talking about fighting for things that are eternal, not temporal. We're fighting for things that, are, that last forever. The things that we gain here in this world, they come and they go really quickly and really easily. But what we're fighting for here is the eternal, the things that don't wear out, the things that we don't get tired of, the things that we won't lose. The thing that we're fighting for is worthy of our time, and it's worthy of our effort. Just so you know that when you're fighting for the eternal, it's worth the fight. Some may feel we speak too much about heaven in this church, or me personally, as it's part of our mission statement. But I will tell you what, that speaking of heaven does not diminish the purpose of earth. Speaking of heaven only, only magnifies, in all honesty, why I'm living on earth. Because if I know my destination, if I know my destination is either going to be in heaven or hell one of these days, that's the only choices, there's no third place, I'm either heaven or hell, and when I recognize that I have an eternal destination, that it would only help me to define my purpose as I walk this life. So it's important that we understand that. And it's also important to know that the enemy of our soul is very much against you caring too much about that. The devil doesn't really want you thinking too much about eternity. He kind of wants to get you focused and keep you focused on your day-to-day issues, right? He, he really doesn't want you to think about eternity because if we really grasped eternity and the fact that how long it is, <laughs> if we could really grasp the fact that it never ends and that we're going to be one place forever and ever, we're not going to go back and forth between the two places. In other words, if you're in hell, you're in hell and you're staying there forever and ever and ever. You're never getting out. If the devil could get us 
not to think about that, he has a much better chance of getting us there. On the same token, if we can think about heaven and all the good things that heaven is and all the the glory that we're going to be able to share and be able to be a part of, that will only increase our desire to want to be there. So if we can, and again, if the devil can keep us from thinking about that, he can pretty much help himself by keeping us away from there, right? That's his strategy. So we need to think about heaven, and we need to think about it a lot, and we need to know that it will not diminish your purpose on earth. The more you think about heaven, the more effective you're going to be here. Our mission statement to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. We need to be relevant to the earth, and then we will be effective in heaven, and we will have enjoyment in heaven as I am relevant here. But I have to know that my, is heaven is my destination. Scripture is clear about that. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says to the Colossians, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, that does not mean that we don't have to worry about earthly things. I shouldn't say, I don't want to use the word worry. That doesn't mean we're not to be concerned of earthly things, because we are, because we live here. But that's not where our mind is set. We're not supposed to be so concerned about earthly things that we don't think about heavenly things. In fact, Matthew uh, talks to us about that as well. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 34. The New Living Translation says it this way, So don't worry about things saying, what shall we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So this is what we're supposed to do, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. We're to seek him first. Seek him first. And all these things that God already knows that you need, guess what? If you seek him first with all your heart, you know what he's going to do? What's he going to do? He's going to provide those things for you. If you're seeking him first, I mean truly, let's think about this. If you're seeking him first, his promise is that he will give you all these other things. Scripture says that these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Something that dominates us, what does it do to us? It controls us. It becomes what we are all about. It is overwhelming us. It dominates our thinking. We strive after the things that dominate us. And this passage says that it's the unbelievers that have their thoughts dominated by earthly things. But I can say pretty much that there are professing Christians that are just as dominated by earthly things as an unbeliever. That there are Christians or professing Christians that claim to be Christ-centered, but yet they can be just as dominated by the earthly things as an unbeliever. Do you believe that? So we need to be careful. We need to take good counsel here as we continue to fight the good fight that we understand the value of why we're fighting the good fight. We're not fighting it just to fight. No more than we're just coming into church to come into church. We're coming in to be part of the body of Christ so that we can minister to each other, so that we can bear each other's burdens, 
so that we can come in and if we're the one that's sick or, or, or need the healing, that we can be healed or we can be uplifted. Or if you're coming in today strong and vibrant, then you can be the one uh, giving a hand to somebody else. But we're not coming in just to say we came in here. We're not coming in just to check the mark, check the box. That doesn't mean anything, does it? We're coming in to be truly a part of the body of Christ. We're coming in to truly understand what is the good fight. What's it all about? Why did Jesus really come in that little manger scene so many years ago? What's the point of Christmas? What's the point? The good fight. The good fight. You know, the thing that I really like about the way God's economy system works is that we can store things up for us. We don't, we can store, th- we, we, can, we, we literally can take things from this world and put them in the next world. Do you know that? How do I do that? How do I lay things ahead? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19. Just go a little bit, a few verses up in that same passage, beginning at verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures where? Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Here's the key. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. The Living Bible says it this way. If your prophets are in heaven, your heart will be there too. So that's why we have to think of heavenly things. And, and what am I storing ahead? I'm putting things ahead that I'm doing here physically for other people. And I'm following the will of God, and I'm doing the things that he instructs me to do, and I'm being obedient to him. Those things are eternal. Those things I can lay ahead for heavenly treasures. Those are good things. Amen? Do you want to store things? Do you want things to be there in heaven when you get there? Absolutely. So we do things here. We live a life here that's pleasing to the Lord. And this helps us live out our mission statement. This is the thing, to be heavenly effective to earthly relevance. That, by definition, helps us understand what the good fight is all about. The good fight is how do I lay things ahead? How do I fight the fight here so that I can lay things ahead for me and treasures in heaven? You know, we really need to see the end if we're going to get to a destination. If we're going to get to a destination, we really need to know what is that destination. We need to have it firmly entrenched in our mind. Where are we going? I have to have that plan. I have to have that understanding. It's like having a, a road map or a, a GPS constantly on in front of me when I'm in the car on a road trip. And it's always watching my turns, watching where I'm going. And, and if I, you know, if I, especially if I'm in an area that I don't know, if I don't know the area, a map is very important for me. Or a GPS is very important because how quickly and how easily we can get turned around and lose our direction and wander around and, and waste a lot of time and, and maybe not even get to our final destination. So having a destination clearly marked out is very important if we're, if we're finally going to get there. So we need to have the end goal. What is the end goal of the good fight? Paul gives us very good understanding of that. I love what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the thing I like about 2 Timothy so much is that this is the last words that, Tim, that Paul spoke before he was martyred. 
This is the last book that Paul wrote. And you know how important it is, the last things you would say, how important it is. You know, I, I heard that if, you, if any of you listened at all to the uh, President Bush's funeral, President number 43 said that President number 41, the last words when he called him on the phone, when, he, when George called George, when called, George called his dad on the phone, the last words he said on this earth said, I love you too. I love you too. Isn't that significant? The last words are so important. And these are the last words that Paul was saying to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I finished the race. And now there's a crown of righteousness. Paul understood what it meant to fight the good fight. And because he was faithful in all that God had given him to do, he was confident that he was on his way to reaping what he had sown all of his life. And this brings me back to the difference between what is the difference between the good fight and the bad fight. We said last week that if there's a good fight, then there must be a bad fight. What's the difference? You know, we see Paul. Let's, go, let's just look at Paul's life for, for, for a few minutes because he's a great example. Paul was a fighter from the very beginning we've, we were introduced to Paul. And I think he is a good example of a good fight and a bad fight mentality. So let's, let's talk about that. At the time when, before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. And Saul was a Jew of Jews. I mean, he was a rising star in the pharisaical world of his day. He was the up-and-coming dude. He was it. Um, that Paul describes himself as the best of the best, not because he was bragging, but because it was a fact. And he was saying what he, this, so that he could then uh, use that as an example of, of what his purpose really was after Christ transformed his life. If you look in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul says, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul was the dude, man. He was all of it. He really was. But just because Paul had all the right credentials... And just because he had the zeal and the passion to match, does that mean he was fighting the good fight? See, people have no problem declaring their faith and their religion. But just because they have great faith and great religion and they have great credentials to, go, to back it all up, does that mean they're fighting the good fight? I think we need to answer the question about Paul first. Then you can answer the question about yourself and maybe other people as well. But Paul was a powerful man. He was powerful. 
He was influential. But he was on the wrong road. He was on the wrong side of the fight. Therefore, as good as Paul looked on the outside, and as, far, as good as he looked to the religious leaders of the day, he was teeming with the wrong side of the eternal fight. Even though he believed he was right, he was still on the bad fight. He didn't understand the position that he should have been in, and he was fighting hard. See, passion and zeal to do good works aren't what determines if it's a good or bad fight. And I will, but I will also say that passion and zeal and good works, even though they're not a defin, definition of the, of the good or bad fight, they are indicative of a good fight. <laughs> a person that isn't a good fight will have these, but just because you have them doesn't mean you're in a good fight. We need to understand this. The good fight is all about having a relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And until we have that relationship with him, we really can't be in the good fight. The relationship that we get through the power of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we line up with God's word, that defines us to be in the good fight. Paul needed a crisis point to turn himself. Paul needed a conversion experience because Paul was on the road to destruction even though he was zealous, even though he was a Jew of the Jews, even though he's Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was, he was all credentialed because he was on the wrong road, no matter how much passion and zeal he had, that was never going to get him on the right road. The only thing that got him on the right road was a crisis point, and that was when he had to meet Jesus face to face. And that's what happened on the road to Damascus. Paul's crisis point came while he was on a journey to persecute Christians Jesus met him on the road. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, there's some interesting things in this passage here. This was, first of all, an amazing encounter. Could you imagine what it would have been like for Saul and for those guys traveling with him? All of a sudden, this bright light shone, and it knocked Paul off his donkey, and Paul couldn't see anything, and, and, and Paul's hearing this voice, clearly hearing this voice speak to him, and the other guys around him are just hearing Noise, they're not hearing the voice. They're not hearing the words that Paul's hearing. But Paul is clearly, clearly hearing him, and he's, and he's talking to this voice, and he says, who are you? He must have had an idea that it was the Lord because he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? Why are you on the bad fight, is what he was basically saying. Paul, you're a fighter, and you're good at it, but you're fighting the wrong things. It's hard to kick against the goads. Now, <laughs> when I started searching more ab about the meaning on kicking against the goads, something very interesting came up. A goad is not something that we talk about a lot. When was the last time you said the word goad? <laughs> Do you know what a goad is? 
A goad is a slender piece of wood, a sharp a stick, and it was blunt on one end and sharp on the other end. And remember, these people in the day lived in an agricultural society, and they didn't have John Deere tractors. They had horses and donkeys and oxen. And so this goad was used by the man driving the oxen. When the oxen wasn't pulling hard enough, he would stick the sharp end into the ribs of that oxen and it would goad him on, okay? So it was something that would be used to, to encourage the ox or the donkey to do more work. And so it was a common saying then that if a person was being stubborn or not doing what they're supposed to be doing, that you're kicking against the goad, so in other words, take, imagine your bare foot kicking against a sharp stick. That's basically what it is. You're kicking against a goad. You're, you're stubborn. You're not willing to move. That's what it's talking about. And so when I, when I read that, I, I'm, I started looking some more information, and, and I read an interesting commentary. And let me just read to you what this, what this person said. Saul's conversion could appear to us as having been a sudden encounter with Christ. But based on the Lord's expression regarding his kicking back, I believe he'd been working on him for years, prodding and goading him. I believe the words and works of Jesus haunted the zealous Pharisee. Quite likely, Saul had heard Jesus teach and preach in public places. Similar in age, they would have been contemporaries in a city Saul knew well and Jesus frequently visited. Imagine Saul, the name Paul, means small, suggesting that Saul or Paul may have been shorter than average. Standing on tiptoe, straining to watch Jesus, all the while grudgingly wondering how this false prophet could be gaining popularity. Nonsense. He has to be Satan. Pharisees love to think that. Nevertheless, Jesus' ministry stuck in Saul's mind. The more it goaded him, the more he resisted God's proddings. Interesting thought process here. You know, I, I like to know, I like to think that there's so much more that happened in those days than what could have been recorded in Scripture. So I got to think that uh, Paul did know, or Saul did know who Jesus was. He was in the same city quite often. And he was a Jew, and he was a Pharisee, and, and I'm sure that he, he knew a lot about Jesus. He must have heard Jesus preach. He must have heard the teachings of Jesus because they were pretty much the same age. They were contemporaries. Still, even with all that information that Paul had about Jesus, he never had a personal relationship with him. And, and that goading or that prodding on that God was trying to all those times, you got to imagine, listen, if it didn't have to take that drastic occurrence on the road to Damascus where Paul actually was blinded for three days and he had to be led like a child into the city because he was helpless and he had to be there helpless until Nicodemus came to him and God said pray for Saul and when Nicodemus came and prayed for Saul the scales fell off Saul's eyes and he could see then it was a pretty drastic conversion it didn't have to be that way if Saul would have listened to the goading and the prodding of Jesus or God through his life, it could have been a much gentler conversion experience. So what that says to me is sometimes, guys, we make our own problems because we're just so stubborn against the Lord. 
and he loves us so much that he's going to, he's going to continue to goad you, continue to prod us on, and he, he will probably even bring you to a crushing point. Where that you need to have a crisis point in your life like Saul had to have a crisis point in his life where he finally got his attention. It doesn't have to be that difficult, guys. We can make it a lot easier if we would be willing to say, Lord, I hear your voice and I will move with you and don't, I don't have to get to the point where you're going to have to crush me. But thank the Lord he does. Thank the Lord he doesn't give up. Thank the Lord he will come again and again and again. And I think that's exactly what happened with Saul. That Jesus finally had to break through his wall of resistance. He finally had to get him to the point where Saul could change from the bad fight to the good fight, but it took that crisis point in Saul's life. So let's jump back into the, into the account of Philippians where Paul is describing what it is to be part of the good fight for him. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. Turn back. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. This is in a living translation. It says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I, was, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. We're going to come back to that. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. All right, so listen to Paul's heart here. Paul's heart is saying, I once thought the things that I was doing when I was Saul were valuable. I once thought that I was persecuting the Christians. I thought that was valuable to God. He really did. He didn't think he was wrong. He really thought as a Pharisee of the day that these Christians were heretics and they were false teachers and false prophets and false believers. So it was his job to cleanse them from the face of the earth because he was serving God that way. Bad fight. (laughs) Not a good fight. And Paul said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. What's that mean? Personal relationship. Personal relationship. That's what we've been talking about today. God wants a personal relationship with you. And when it becomes personal with you, the bad fight becomes the good fight because now the fight becomes your fight. Because it's a personal thing. It's a relationship thing. Now you are fighting for Christ, not against him. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with that infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Do you hear his, can you hear his heart? Do you hear his passion here? And here's the thing, so that I could gain Christ and become, say it, one with him. All right, so here's the definition of the good fight. When I can become one with Christ, I am in the good fight. When I can become one with Christ, when I can stop kicking against the goads, when I can stop putting up the barriers, 
When I can stop looking at God's word and saying, oh God, you, t- kept, you keep telling me all these things I can't do and they're taking away all my fun on earth. When I can stop looking at it that way, when I can start looking at and when I hear God say no to some things, he's saying, Mike, I don't want you to hurt yourself with these things because these things are only going to come back and hurt you. Alcohol, drugs, tobacco, overeating, all this stuff is going to come back and hurt you. And so I want to, I'm telling you to be, I'm just saying no. No, don't do it. That's not a mean God. But when I kick against the goads and I say, no, I'm going to do it anyways, what am I doing? Think about it. Yeah. That's not becoming one with Christ. When I can become one with Christ, what, the, what happens there then is that I look at these things, these instructions, and I say, wow, that's what I can be? Oh, thank you, Lord, for helping me. Thank you for giving me wisdom. Thank you for giving me direction. Thank you for giving me a path forward. Thank you for giving me a purpose so I can be one with Christ. That is, by definition, the good fight. Let's go back and pick this verse out a little bit. The process of the bad fight becoming a good fight is in this passage of verse, the, the Scripture. Paul said, once I thought these things were valuable. All right? That's the bad fight. That's the bad fight. Now I consider them worthless. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. That's recognizing the good fight. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, recognizing that what I was doing before, the bad, it was a bad fight. It was all bad fight, garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That's the good fight that I'm changing. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Self-righteousness is a bad fight because I'm doing it on my own. Bad fight. Paul's going back and forth. He's showing us the process. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. Good fight. The righteousness of Christ is a good fight. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Good fight. I want to know Christ. I want to be like him. I want to suffer with him and share in his death. That's a good fight. I'm becoming more like Christ. I want to share in his death so that I can share in his resurrection, in his glory. And I do all of that so that we can experience the resurrection from the dead. Ultimately, that is the result of the good fight. I stay in the good fight, I win. Ultimate result, from living the good fight is experiencing what Christ experienced as he was victorious in his good fight. Do you know Jesus had a fight? Do you know, do you know that he chose the good fight too? Yeah, that's what we have. That's our, that's our choice. That's what the Lord's putting through us today. By definition, by us joining in with Jesus in his good fight, we have the opportunity to win like he won. Amen. That's eternity. You talk about pleasure. You talk about peace. You talk about comfort. You talk about a good purpose. That's it. Life is going to be made up of many fights. Life is going to be made up of many fights. They're going to come to you, guys. Whether you like it or not, they're going to come to you. Your choice is how to avoid the bad fight and how to choose the good fight. It's in our attitude. It's in our choices. It's in your control. The devil cannot overcome you in the bad fight. 
It's up to us. The fight becomes the good fight when it becomes whose fight? The fight becomes the good fight when it becomes whose fight? When it becomes my fight. I have to absorb the fight. Now, it's not about me. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying. But until I grasp the concept, it's, not bad. it's a bad fight because I won't die for it then. I'll die for what I believe in. And when I believe in Jesus Christ as the good fight, the fight becomes the good fight when it becomes my fight. And now I'm willing to die for it. And I'm willing to give all my life for it. And I'm willing to, to just say, Jesus, it's, I'm all in for this. I'm all in for the good fight. Now, next week, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, and we're going to start talking about what, how do I know if I'm in a good fight? What are, some, what are some telltale signs that I'm in a good fight versus the bad fight? There's just too much to talk about in one day. Jackie, if you could come. We're going to conclude today, but we'll pick it up next week. But I have some questions for you today, and I want to ask you this morning, where are you on the battlefield? Which side are you on? Are you a Saul kicking against the goads? Or are you a Paul embracing everything that God has for us? Where are you this morning in your fight? Are you at the point yet where the fight has become yours? Or are you still living on somebody else's faith? Are you still living on your hero's faith, whoever that hero was in your life? Are you struggling in some areas that you haven't quite given in yet to God? Are you struggling in some areas that you haven't quite laid it over to Jesus yet? You see, you can, you can have a good fight and a bad fight happening at the same time. You can have the good fight mentality, but yet you can still have this little area in my heart that says, Lord, that's, that's my area, God. I'll give you everything else, but this one's mine. Well, can I tell you that's a bad fight? There will be no bad fighters in heaven. Only good fighters are going to go to heaven, just so you know that. Only good fights are going to make it to heaven. So are there areas in your life you're struggling with? Are there some things that you're still holding on to? I'll give you everything, God, including my time. I'll read and I'll pray and I'll commit. The most important resource that I have is my time. I'll commit that to you. I'll give that to you. My energy. I'll spend my energy on things that really matter. And I will quickly obey when I hear your voice. Is that your heart? The money that I have, the resources that I have, Father, it's all yours. It's all yours. Not just the tithe, but all of it else. I'm just going to give it all to you. And he'll give it back to you, the steward. I mean, we're, we are the stewards of our time and our money and our resources. But if we don't give God the first part, that's bad fight. <laughs> Head fight. If you don't think God can handle all of your resources, then you're on the wrong side. The good fight is saying, God, I, I know that you know where I'm at financially. You know where I'm at with my energy, my time. And I'm going to trust you with it. The good fight is I'm going to give it all. I am not going to have any problem tithing to you. I'm not going to have any problem coming in volunteering in the church. I'm not going to have any problem being on a carpool ministry. I'm not going to have any problem being a Sunday school teacher. I'm not going to have any problem doing whatever it takes to serve the body of Christ. That's good fight. And believe me, you will have opposition. There will be those thoughts that will come to you and say, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford it. I have bills to pay. 
No, I, don't, I can't afford to uh, take the time to go pick up somebody because that's way out of my way and I've just got to go here. No, I don't have time. No, I don't have time to volunteer in the church because I'm just too busy. I mean, the, you're going to have opposition in the good fight, guys, just so you know that. But it's going to be a fight when you make it a good fight because it's your fight. What are you going to do with it? These are the things that God's going to come back and these are the way we, we store things in heaven by being obedient to the good fight. Paul declared he wanted to be one with Christ. One with Christ. That is the shortest and most direct definition of being in a good fight. I want to be one with Christ. Do you? Do you want to be one with Christ this morning? Are you willing to give it all? Commit yourself? Be there? When it's inconvenient, when it's hard? Close your eyes with me if you would, please. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, yes, this is a hard message because this is a, a message that requires accountability. This is a message that, that really puts me on the spot because how can I declare to be one with you but then do what I want to do tomorrow or the next day or I don't trust you with my pocketbook or I don't trust you with the time. Lord, help us to grasp the concept of the good fight is meaning that you have everything good in store for us. You are not trying to keep anything away from us. You're not trying to hold out on us. If we could truly become one with you and, and, and understand and embrace the fact that you have everything in store for us that's good, that we can seek ye first and all of your righteousness that you will give us all these other things, that's the good fight. So I pray, Father, that you would just help us in this area. I know we all have challenges. And this morning, I just want to give you a chance. However, every eye is closed. And I just want to give you a chance to acknowledge before Jesus that there are some struggles in your life that you're struggling with that you need help on to move from the bad fight to the good fight. If you have any struggles, would you just lift your hand, raise it high to the Lord and say, God, I am struggling in some areas. I see those hands. And most importantly, Jesus sees the hands. Not only does he see the hands, he sees the heart. He sees the heart of every hand that's not raised too, by the way. Yeah, we have struggles, God. We do have struggles. And I am just asking you, Jesus, by the lifting up my hand this morning, I'm asking you and for everyone else that lifted a hand this morning and that we're honest with themselves that you will help us fight the good fight. We need you. Help us. We surrender our hearts and lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing and let's use this as a time of surrender.
Father, we do surrender to you this morning. Everything that we have, everything that we desire, God, we just want to dwell with you. We surrender. We don't kick against the goads. We just give it to you. And we thank you for receiving us the way we have, the way we are and everything that we do. Be with us this week as we go. Continue to prod us on, Lord. Help us, help us, help us, Jesus. And we thank you. Be blessed today. Be blessed today as you go, folks. The Lord loves you. He's on your side. He wants you to fight the good fight, and he wants to bless you in everything you do if you'll just choose him back. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.